grab your Bibles. If you have your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can put one in your hand and turn with me to John chapter 15. We'll finish the 15th chapter today. If you're new or relatively new or visiting, we remain in uh, the upper room discourse. This is was Jesus meeting with the disciples the night before the crucifixion, the night before he goes to the cross, the night of the Lord's Supper, all of that was in the upper room. So we're going to pick up where we left off, uh, which is verse, uh, we finished verse 17 last week. And again, if you're kind of new to Calvary Chapels, we go verse by verse. Generally, I do some topical things too, but uh, generally verse by verse. And so here we are in the book of John, picking it up, John chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works, works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and have also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law, they hated me without cause. And we'll read verses 26 and 27 to finish it out just uh, a little bit later near the end, but let's pray. Father, we know that you sent your son Jesus. Lord, for the reasons that we understand so well now, because of sin, because of death. And we thank you, Lord, that we have your word. We thank you that, Lord Jesus, you are the word. I thank you for the privilege to teach your word. I pray that we would all receive your word here this morning. I need your help. I need your strength. I need the counsel of the Spirit. Lord, all the preparation, all the prayer in advance. I still need you as if I did none of that. So, Lord, we pray that you would speak to each heart. You would give us all what you want us to have, your portion for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This is a passage that I, I told the 830 service, um, I'm pretty sure that almost all the churches in our country that have now watered down the gospel or hardly preach it anymore or are now progressive, which I would say is regressive, this is a, topic, this is a passage I doubt they will read ever to the people. But we're going to go verse by verse, and if Jesus said it, we want to know it. Amen? We want to hear it. We want to hear it whether we... And we have to grapple with it or not, but we want to know it. What a transition Jesus makes uh, from last week's portion of text and the verses prior of abiding in his love and experiencing in him a fullness of joy, of course, as we remain obedient to him and his commands, to this section where experiencing somewhere in the course of life its potential 
that will have the same disdain in some measure that the world had for Jesus, he could have for us, or the world could have for us. At first glance, these words from Jesus, they seem to run counter to the encouraging words that he's just expressed. But in actuality, his words confirm something that we talked about last week. Joy in our soul and the love of Christ that is in us and upon us is not the absence of trials or resistance or even persecution. No, it's the supernatural joy that Jesus gives and the indescribable love of God via the presence and the help of the Holy Spirit that allows us to remain faithful and in obedience in all kinds of circumstances. Jesus does not always shield us from this world. He shields us through this world. Soldiers in ancient times, today we have different weaponry, different kinds of, we have bulletproof vests and stuff like that today. But soldiers in ancient times, they carried shields. You've seen them in medieval times, biblical times. They had shields. Why? Because they inevitably knew that arrows would be coming their way. Flaming arrows, poison arrows. The same is true for us as a disciple of Christ. We're called to be soldiers of Christ. We're going to have to have a shield. But Jesus is our shield. And he's also the vine and we're the branches and just as a tree you know it's that apple season again here in virginia anyone already been to carter's mountain you already made the trek yet you know but just as a tree with branches and we we talk about these branches that bear fruit but those branches you know especially in a state like ours where we get all kinds of weather we get all four seasons they endure storms they endure blazing heat they endure cold. They endure wind. They endure hail, insects, disease. And so will the disciple of Christ. We'll endure all those same kind of spiritual metaphor type elements. Peter, who was there with Jesus on this night, said this. It's on the screen in 1 Peter 4.12. He said this later to the church. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. It is not odd that the world will push against us. It's normal. Don't be surprised, Peter says in his epistle here. And then in his second epistle, he says that him and the apostles were eyewitnesses of the entire life of Jesus, the majesty of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. Now, why is that so important? Why is it important that we had eyewitnesses to Jesus' life? Well, for many reasons. But as it relates to this portion of text, and what John records here in the Upper Room Discourse, Peter and the apostles, they saw firsthand how Jesus was treated, how people treated him, how the leaders treated him how he was opposed by the religious leaders almost from the very outset of his ministry. Amen? 
the plot to kill Jesus. We talked about this several chapters back. The plot to kill Jesus was known long before the cross. The people in Jerusalem knew that there was basically a bounty on his head. And that finally, they indeed did kill Jesus. In fact, they will kill Jesus hours from this portion of text. The following morning, he'll go to the cross from what we're reading right here. The following morning, that's how close it is. So if Jesus says, in essence, the way I was received, you can expect to be received. Peter understood what that meant. John understood what that meant. All the disciples and apostles, they understood what that meant. And he wants us to understand what that means. Amen? He said, don't be shocked if the world hates you. But over time, the more the apostles abide in Jesus, this takes time. I've been saved 27 years now. And, and by the way, you're abiding in Christ as you grow you don't grow like this. You grow like this. It's a stock market. You know, it goes up and down. But the trend line should be going to more mature, more abiding, more faith. But that's not a straight line. I thought you had more faith last week than you did this. That's true. But over, by November, I will you know, follow this. They knew. But over time, the more they abide, guess what happens to the apostles? They don't become paralyzed by fear. You would think if they heard, say, oh, I'm out. They do not become more paralyzed by fear. They actually become bolder and bolder, and their faith becomes stronger. While they're still growing in love and joy in the midst of a world that does not like them. Do you believe that Jesus can accomplish that in us? You guys believe that? That he can accomplish in us? that we would actually grow in love and joy and become bolder in the face of saying, wow, I think the whole world is going the opposite direction. It doesn't really like my Christianity or my faith anymore. If you're taking notes, you see the title this morning, Not of This World, Bearing the Name of Jesus. Back to verse 18. Look at verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Aren't you glad Jesus always takes the lead on everything? That he's at the tip of the spear. It's not us. Quick question here. How many of you really relish the idea of being hated? You love to be hated. It's like your favorite. You know, you, you hope that everyone hates you. Of course not. I guess none of us, none of us want to be hated. And there might be some sadist out there that likes to be hated, but I don't know who. I've not met people that want to be hated. Most people want to be liked, want to be loved, want to be accepted. We're certainly not looking to be hated. Most of us are trying to really be helpful. I don't think Jesus relished being hated. Matter of fact, I know because I have a picture of it right in the scriptures. He looked over the city of Jerusalem and he wept over the city and he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you, but you were not willing. So I can tell he did not relish being rejected. He wanted them to love him. but He wasn't going to force it. Remember, Jesus is the revelation of something that was foreshadowed in the Old Testament. Remember, Joseph was rejected by his brothers. They sold him into slavery. They dropped him into a pit, and they did not care what happened to him. They persecuted their own brother. But later they would do what? 
They would bow down before him. Later, everyone's going to bow down before Jesus. But first, he had to endure. And on some occasions, Jesus being hated, so often it was obvious the apostles witnessed it over the three-year ministry. They saw all the opposition that Jesus would get. On some occasions, Jesus would point out the illogical nature of his enemy's hatred, like it made no sense that they hated him. When he would heal a hurting person, someone who is desperate to be healed, someone who is poorer than anyone you've ever met. I mean, he healed people that didn't have a dime to their name. They had no health. He would heal them, and the religious leaders were furious about it, especially if it happened on the Sabbath day, which he healed multiple times on the Sabbath for a real purpose to help them see how antagonistic they really were against him and the Lord. He said in Matthew 9, 4, it's up on the screen, but Jesus, knowing their thoughts, he was speaking to the religious leaders here, why do you think evil in your hearts? It was always the evil that was inside of them. They hated him no matter how much good he did. Of course, Jesus knew why they had evil and hatred. He's trying to get them to see it, them to think through where they're really at. He knew they were rejecting him. They were rejecting the Father. They were rejecting the salvation of their souls. They were rejecting truth. This is what America is rejecting right now, salvation and truth in the person of Jesus. And therefore, because all of that resistance was in them, they hated Jesus. Because Jesus, his light was revealing the darkness in them, the evil in them, the hardness of their hearts. And by the way, you and me too, when we came to Christ, when I walked forward to that aisle at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale in 1995, I knew I was a wretched sinner and I needed God's grace. But the light either brings us to Christ or we close our eyes. I want to see it. Rather than come to him and submit to him, their evil and futile thoughts, here's what they came up with. Instead of submitting to Jesus, I'm talking about the religious leaders. This is Caiaphas, the priesthood, the Pharisees, the scribes, all the power people of the religious sect of that day. Instead of coming to Jesus and just humbling themselves and saying, have mercy upon us and save us, they came up with this thought instead, let's kill him. That's what they came up with. Just like the mafia would or something. Hey, we can't fix this. Take him out. <laughs> Jesus revealed this um, expressly. The same Passover week, earlier in the week, he used a parable to describe the hate-filled inward thoughts of the Pharisees and the religious leaders and what they would come up with as a solution for him as opposed to repenting and surrendering and saying this really is the Son of God, he told them what they would do and how they were thinking and the evilness in their hearts. Mark 12, 7, he told the parable of the vine dresser. You guys know that one? And he says, but those vine dressers said among themselves, this is the heir, come, let us kill him. Jesus told them early in the week, I know exactly what's in your heart. Instead of repenting, you're going to try and kill me. Well, they will 
because Jesus is going to lay down his life. No one takes it from him. But they think they pulled off the heist, that they've removed the one who's making them feel so guilty. But back to the text. If the world hates you, when Jesus uses the word world, he's speaking of the power structure. He's speaking of the world's system, its power and control. The religious leaders were part of that control there in the first century. But it's speaking of the world that hates Jesus because Satan hates Jesus. And because Satan is behind the power structure, remember that Jesus said back in John 14.30, one chapter back, 14.30 if you're taking notes, he called Satan the ruler of this world. He said he has nothing in me, but he called him the ruler of this world. So those, those people, even today, here in 2022, certainly then as well, those people who are clinging to this world, who also, if they have the power structure, they're part of the influence, they're part of the system of control that's in place, many of them, and all the way down to people who have no power at all, but they still are without Christ, are unwittingly, or in some cases totally aware, they are in full alignment with Satan and his hatred and his rejection of Jesus. Remember Jesus said, you're like your father, the devil. He said that to them. They didn't think they were of the devil. They didn't think they were alignment with, aligned with Satan, Satan, but they were. Now, I'm glad that Jesus starts verse 18 with the word if. If. In other words, if you experience this, you won't always experience it. Aren't you glad for that? The persecution is like 24-7 every single year. Even he tells the church there, one of the churches um, in the Revelation, he goes, you're going to go through a time of trial. It's like a 10-year period where they would go through. It's not always, but, but it can happen. And Jesus is forewarning that it will happen at times, that there will be this intense persecution. But if you experience this, you'll know why, and you'll know that it's because, Jesus says, because you're in me, you're aligned with me, and you bear my name. The undercurrent, the undercurrent of the spirit of Antichrist has always been in this world ever since the fall. Amen? The undercurrent of the spirit of Antichrist. John writes of it. This is the spirit of Antichrist. That undercurrent has been here. It is here. It's why we have things like the Inquisitions, why we have Holocaust, why we have just murders and violence and, and nations trying to dominate other nations. It's always been the spirit of Antichrist. It's a rejection of God and a rejection of what he would send his son. But how it manifests varies, which flows into verse 10. He says, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. If you're aligned with the world, if you're in agreement with the world's code of ethics, if you're in agreement with this world's system, if you're in agreement with the world's re uh, rejection of Jesus, guess what? You get to be in the in crowd. You're cool again. Or you never stop being cool. If you are along with, if you're aligned with the world, Satan is the ruler of this world. And if 
you decide, hey, I'm, I, I don't want Jesus. I really want to enjoy life. I want to be loved by everybody in this world. Satan, many times, will just leave you alone. He's perfectly content to leave you alone and let you drift right into hell. And many people will be left alone. Even Asap uh, writes of this in Psalm 73. He's like, what? Lord, they got everything going on perfect. There's no, their life seems easy street. Everything seems great. Their car never breaks down. Mine always breaks down. That's not in the text, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> when I get flat tires, they don't. All of these things. If you agree with the world's morals and the philosophy that all religions are equally correct, which is impossible because many religions, I don't know if you know, they contradict each other. So they can either all, they can all be wrong, but they can't all be right. You hear that? They can all be wrong for sure. They can't all be right, but one is right. And you're reading it right now in the book of John. And throughout the scriptures, it's interesting that the course of the, this world, we see this exponentially today, you are, you're able to say that virtually anything is right and anything is okay unless it's from the Bible. I mean anything. You see the crazy things that people are coming up with. Like literally, we have lost our marbles. You can come in and say, 2 plus 2 is 4, but also 3 plus 3 is 4, 10 plus 12 is 4, and any other combination, they all equal 4. Whereas it used to be, even if you didn't agree with the Bible, you still thought certain things, all right, this is fact, this is not. Right. Now, it's all fine unless it comes from the Bible. Everything, literally anything. You can, it doesn't matter. You can be atheist, you can be Islamic, you can be this, you can be that, you can be LGBTQ, whatever it is. Anything goes unless it's from the Bible. Anything else. It's interesting that the course of the world, um, just don't say God said. That is the line in the sand. And in Jesus' time here, it was the Pharisees where they don't, they don't want to, don't tell us anything that Jesus of Nazareth has to say. We reject anything, anything he has to say. And that's why he says, you're not of the world because I chose you. Everything of the scriptures in our lifetime is being pushed back against it's being resisted, it's being rejected because it's God and the Son of God that the world is rejecting and the Spirit of God. That's where the hatred and direction is, is directed. It's not at such and so Baptist church or Calvary Chapel or the church. It's directed at God himself. The fist is being shaken at God in the person of Jesus. It's toward God and his authority. It's why a seven-year tribulation is really coming. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you guys, you guys, everyone believe that? It's coming. Yeah. It's coming. It is absolutely coming. It's coming more than you and I have any kind of comprehension. It is on its way. God is just waiting to give the angel the signal. Right. 
We're closer by the day. The sand is moving through the hourglass. I've said it many times. Sand only moves one way through the hourglass. And there's way less sand in the hourglass now than there was 2,000 years ago. And there's less sand in the hourglass than there was when the pandemic started. And there's less sand than when this service started. And deep down, the world knows it. Did you know that? Read Romans chapter 1. That's your homework. Go read Romans chapter 1. Deep down, the world knows it. That's why they fear climate change. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do things that are good. I recycle with the best of them. But the climate change that's going to happen, no one will be able to stop it. It'll be the wrath of God. Right, 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 right. It's not, our, our stuff is not going to change it. We're not the ones that... I mean, there's going to be a time there's no whales left. Read the book of Revelation. But it's not going to be because of what we did or didn't do other than not repenting. But it won't be because we didn't recycle enough or had more electric cars. None of that's going to be it. That's why they fear climate change. It's why people want to silence the word of God. It's why in, in these things are kind of like, you say, how is this possible? But you see, again, deep down, people know where this is all headed. It's why in our lifetime people are fascinated on Netflix, on Amazon Prime, on YouTube. It doesn't matter. They are fascinated with end-of-the-world movies, end-of-the-world documentaries, end-of-the-world reality shows, end-of-the-world video games. People love it, but they don't love it. What it is is this fear of losing what they're trying to hold on to. They're trying to hold on to this world. This world is not my home. I'm not trying to hold on to it. How about you? I'm not even trying to hold on to my youthful look. You ever notice plastic surgery lately? I don't think that's worth You've seen some Hollywood people have more money than they know what to do with. And you're like, how many times have you gone because your face is now really contorted? I think I, I know what you were going for. The younger look, it's not working. You look better looking 70 than trying to look 50 because now you look alien-ish or something. It's not, you need to look 50 or 70. But that's the world trying to hold on to things. Once you're secure in Jesus, you're not trying to hold on. I mean, you're, not that I want to look older, but I know that I'm going to get a glorified body. I'm going to go back to and probably, probably like Jesus time, 33 or something like that forever in heaven. It's all good and, and better and lots of upgrades for us by then when you get that. But we're not trying to hold on to these things. But when Jesus says here that the world would love you if you belong to the world, he adds that his choosing us, and we talked about this in past weeks, that we do have to choose him back. I mean, if Jesus chooses you and you say, thanks for choosing me, but I don't want you back, you can't be saved. But we have to choose him back. But he first chose us. His grace came to us first. We didn't come to him first. But as he places us in God the Father, the world hates God. And now we're a child of God. And so we stick out. We stand out. But back to verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Jesus refers to what he had said earlier in the evening. Earlier in that evening, right after he washed the disciples' feet, again, all that's the same night in the upper room there, he said back in chapter 13, it's on the screen, verse 16, most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. 
Just as Jesus said you were going to have to, the disciples, he was telling them, now, this terminology didn't even exist then. They couldn't imagine that there would someday be celebrity pastors. They could, they, it would not, you would, what, first of all, they said, what is, what's a celebrity? Someone famous like Pilate. You mean, hold on, people that follow Jesus can be popular like Pilate? In 2022, yes. When you get to 2022, yes, and they will drive nicer cars than you and all this other stuff. They might even have a private jet. They wouldn't have been able to uh, understand that because they received from Jesus they were going to have to not be celebrities but wash feet, dirty, dusty feet. That's, that's not really like a CEO position, you might note. But they would have to accept Washing feet, but they would also, Jesus said, and it's not just washing feet, he used the exact same sentence in thir- uh, uh, chapter 13, verse 16, as he does right here in verse 20. He says the same exact thing. A servant is not greater than his master. So now he's saying, just like I told you, you're going to have to wash feet, you're also going to have to accept rejection and hatred at times. And so will we. And hatred, of course, comes in different ways. You can be excluded. You can be treated with rudeness. Maybe you're cussed out or cursed at. Just ignore it altogether. Just slighted. Talked about behind your back. Mistreated. Maybe passed over for that job promotion. In my prior career, I know for a fact. I can't prove it, but I still know it. There was a time... My wife knows when it happened, too. I, I even flew for the interview. It was an internal thing. I know I didn't get the position because of my faith. I know it because I said way too much Jesus in the meeting, and I knew everything changed in that meeting. And I'm still okay with that because God said, you're not going to stay here anyway. You're going to be pastor in church, so don't even sweat it. <laughs> Let them sweat it. But it happens. These things happen. You might not get invited to the block party or the big barbecue that everybody else got invited to. Some people might make fun of you. By the way, our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, they're like, is that what y'all define persecution as? Really? They would have a hard time relating with us on this one. But it doesn't feel good, though. I, I, I... True story of a um, group of church leaders in China when they had some brothers from England come over. This is only in like maybe 10 years ago this happened. But they were telling them, you know, what they were going through there. And then the, the two brothers from England were like, well, we can't even relate to what you're going through. And they were really gracious. They said, you know, we don't know what it's like to live in your part of the world. And we respect that your persecution is still painful for you and we know that in the spirit, and we still pray for you nonetheless. Wow. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things that um, God gives you the measure of grace for the moment mm-hmm. and, and all around the world, but doesn't mean that we should not. These things of knowing these things should cause us to press in and pray more for them that are in spirit, experiencing persecution levels that we've never experienced. Nonetheless, they pray for us and, uh, and just really have a, a genuine empathy, even though they don't. Uh, they've never really kind of lived on our, uh, in our, our circumstances and walked in our shoes and vice versa. But Jesus is saying that 
anything that happened to him can happen to us. And, and some of the apostles and some of the body of Christ in the first century would end up dying on crosses as well. All the way to the cross. Anything. Why he said, take up your cross and follow me, because it literally, anything that happened to him could happen to us. But he goes on in verse mid-20, in verse 20, um, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. He's speaking most directly here to the religious leaders of that day. Um, their hate, their persecution, their rejection of Jesus. And he's saying, because they rejected me, they'll also reject you. But he also says, if they, same, uh, same verse, latter part of the verse, if they kept my word, they will keep yours also. This is speaking of those people that are not the, not the 11 apostles, because it's 12 minus 1. Judas has already left the room, as you guys know. He's not going to be an apostle. He's going to be replaced by the apostle Paul. Uh, but this is speaking of other people that also believed in Jesus. Take all the women that go to the tomb. Mary Magdalene. Uh, all the different um, women that were part of that group. Joanna and all the others. Take you know people that had gotten saved in Samaria. People that had gotten saved in Galilee. All of them were not apostles, but they were disciples. They were followers of Christ. And what Jesus is saying, if those people who really came to faith kept my word, once they hear that you have been sent out as the apostles and the starting pastors of the church, if you will, they will receive you as if it came from me. And here we are this morning. I am receiving, you're receiving this epistle, which John wrote with his actual hand. Jesus gave John the word, but Jesus didn't write it with his pen. He told John to write it. John wrote it. We received it as if it was from Jesus. Amen? So your red-letter Bible is directly from the apostles. And so what Jesus said, we are living it out. He says, if they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. We are keeping what John recorded that Jesus gave to John. Because we believe that Jesus saved John, and John was a faithful apostle. Not perfect, but the word of God is, is perfect. So that's what he's saying here, is they'll, they'll keep your word also. And they, all that would come later. They, would, they haven't written anything. They haven't gone into the corner... And, corners of the earth yet. Move to verse 21. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know him who sent me. All the persecution that will come to the apostles and I assume most of you know but maybe all of you don't know this. Now there's 11 apostles. Paul will then eventually take the place of Judas and then you're back to 12. There is Matthias but uh, poor Matthias, I think he uh, is a guy that is a great saint, but I don't believe he's of the 12. But nevertheless, you have the 12, and all but John who writes this, as well as 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, he writes the book of Revelation, all of the apostles will die a martyr's death except for John. John lives to be probably 100, maybe 99, we don't know exactly, but very, and remember that John... The Romans tried to kill John too. They boiled him in oil, but like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he wouldn't cook <laughs> at all. So they're like, well, just put him on the Isle of Patmos because he's got some shield around him and let him die there, which he later was released. And uh, at any rate, 11 of the 12 will die a martyr's death. 
So Jesus was, he's saying, he is speaking specifically to them, but the wider lens is all the church can experience any of these things, and many of our brothers and sisters down through time have. But Satan hates them because they, he says in verse 21 there, for my name's sake, they bear the name of Jesus and the apostles will proclaim the name of Jesus. And Satan hates the name of Jesus. Hates, hates, hates the name of Jesus. Why? Because sinners are saved from death and hell because of the name of Jesus. Amen? Peter, who was there that night, would later say this. He stood up and he speaks to the same religious leaders that actually killed Jesus, and he's trying to reason with them, reason with their souls, that they would repent of their darkness and repent of their rejection of Christ. And he says, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel, because they were in charge of the religious structure, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, not the temple, not your good works, not keeping every commandment, by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, which whereby we must be saved. Muhammad can't save you. Confucius can't save you. Joe Biden can't save you. Nobody can. But Jesus. Amen? The name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. But there's hatred towards the name of Jesus. Because his name is great. End of verse 21. Although it's... A, he says, because they do not know him who sent me. The religious leaders think they know God, but they don't know God. They think they know God. And they can't know God aside from coming humbly to Jesus. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but by me. They can't know God unless they come humbly, repentant, and believing by faith, nor can we. Those of you watching online, those of us here, all of us had to come to God through Jesus. He's the door. He's the way. There's not another way. Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. In the case of the Pharisees and the religious leaders, who he's speaking more, he's speaking directly to them, but he's speaking across the annals of time past them, but he's speaking directly to them. In the case of the Pharisees and the religious leaders, their guilt is multiplied because they had the Son of God in flesh and blood standing in their midst. His teaching, they heard his literal voice. They saw the love in his eyes, speaking to them, reasoning with them face to face. You guys have been with this study. How many times Jesus has told the same thing multiple ways to see maybe this will trigger repentance in you? But it didn't. Their hearts just got harder harder and harder. Yet they chose their sin. They chose their pride. They chose their lust for power. They chose their positions of power over being pardoned and forgiven. And so Jesus says, they are completely without excuse. I came personally to them. I talked to them in the temple that they were supposed to manage. And instead of realizing that I am greater than the temple, they rejected me. Verse 23 he who hates me hates my father also. Jesus adds that to hate him is to hate God. Because a lot of people tell you, hey, I don't hate God, but I don't believe in Jesus. They go, uh, can I read you a verse? Can I show you John chapter 15, verse 
23. If you hate, well, I don't hate Jesus, I just reject him. Well, let me explain this to you as well. To reject him is to hate him, to spurn him. But at any rate, Jesus is saying to hate uh, him is to hate God the Father. The leaders, they claim to love God. Remember, all the Pharisees, they, we love God more than the rest of y'all. But their life is a lie. Their words are a lie because their hearts have believed a lie. 24, verse 24, if I had not done among them the works which no one else had, uh, had done, they would also have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my Father. Jesus builds here in verse 24 on their culpability. Not only did the religious leaders reject his powerful words, the love and grace that was in his eyes and in his speech, but they denied the evidence of their own eyes. They had seen people who were lame, people who were blind, people who were sick, people who were destitute, people that were desperate just to take another breath, and people that had been sick or healed or, or, um, or totally lame, paralyzed for decades or had leprosy. They had seen it with their own eyes or they had sent their own eyewitnesses and almost... I would say most of them by this time had seen much of it with their own eyes. But at any rate, they had sent witnesses. They had sent their own underlings out there and had eyewitness accounts. They knew Jesus had healed thousands upon thousands of people, not one or two people, thousands. The Bible says multitudes were healed by him, not only in Israel proper, but would be modern-day Jordan and all the way up into what is modern-day Lebanon, all of that. They had seen him heal thousands of people. They knew, they positively knew he raised Lazarus from the dead because they sent their little entourage out to Bethany and verified that Lazarus, in fact, had been dead for four days. They, he rose from the dead. Their solution to that, we have to re-kill him. Right. That was their solution. Right. If he's raised, people are going to believe him. We've got to re-kill him. First time he died of natural causes, that would not be a natural cause. This was their hearts. They denied the evidence of their own eyes. And now their sin, Jesus says, now they have no excuse. He says, they won't even believe the works that they've seen. We talked about this. Um, uh, where was I at? I was talking to some other brothers. But even if, even if like Abraham said, um, even if I send some of the dead back from the dead, they're not going to believe. They'd seen these miracles, but they still didn't believe. And the verdict from Jesus is they have no excuse. And by the way, Jesus is going to judge them and the whole world at the end of the age. And when Jesus judges, there's nothing that can alter the verdict. His verdict here is that you're still without excuse. They still would have time to repent if they recognize that they are without excuse. Verse 25, as we kind of bring this into a close, we've got the last two verses as well after this, but verse 25, but this has happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law, they hated me without cause. All of this, Jesus is saying, had to come to pass. Because all, all this is going to lead to Calvary's cross the following morning. All of this had to come to pass. Their hatred had to come to a climax of killing the Son of God, of course, him laying down his life willingly for it, but all of this had to come to pass. And Jesus quotes here from Psalm 69, verse 4, 
The psalmist wrote these words and he requotes them. He's saying there's no cause for them to hate me. There's no good reason for them to hate me. You ever feel that way? You're like, man, why does my family, I get saved and now Thanksgiving's a nightmare. It used to be fun. Right? And I got to go anyway to be a light, but they don't want me to be a light. They don't even want me there. I remember that when I first got saved. It kind of mellowed over time. After a while, everyone sorts through it. All right, you're the born-again guy. All right, whatever. But, you know, you kind of get past it. But at first, it's tenuous. Jesus said, there's no good reason for it. There's no good cause. They hated the man that healed and loved and forgave and raised the dead and gave eternal life. Now, for the disciples... He says that this, this all had to come to pass. They're still sitting there. They're all, remember, they're still bummed that he's leaving because they don't even know where he's leaving. They still don't understand that he's going to the cross. He just said he's leaving. Where are you going? Can we follow you? No, you can't follow me there, but later you can. They still have no idea what that is. They're just bummed out that he's leaving. Add to this, he says, oh, by the way, if I'm getting hated, you get to get hated. All right. We already were struggling. For the disciples to digest all this and hope that they can be faithful in the face of fury of the religious leaders, of what they've already seen in them and what they will see even worse the following morning. Jesus, I, just my own opinion here, I, no doubt reading their minds. He always knew everyone's mind. He, as a matter of fact, that verse I read earlier, he was quoting what they were thinking of the Pharisees. But he knows what's in their mind. You can imagine their thoughts. If this was me and I was sitting there that night and he told me, I'm, you're, if I was hated, you're going to get hated, my first thought would be something along the line, I'm going to crumble. There's no way I'm going to have the strength to pull this off. There's no way I'm going to be able to stay faithful. I'm going to run for the hills if the Romans start to persecute or the religious leaders or whatever it may be. But that brings us to our last two verses. Look at verse 26 and 27. But when the Helper, but when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. I love verse 27. And you also will bear witnesses. He doesn't say, and you will crumble. He doesn't say, and you will fail. He doesn't say, and you will deny me, and you will collapse. No, he says, you're going to bear witness. And, of course, they all end up doing that other than Judas because he's already rejected. Because you have been with me from the beginning, because your salvation is genuine, because your faith is real. That's what he's saying. Amen to that. When the helper comes, you know, we, you and I have no hope. We have no hope to faithfully face opposition in our life, trials in our life, rejection in our life, even some, some level of persecution or just rejection of be it family or neighbors or people at work or whatever it is. We have no hope to actually endure that. And the Lord allows some of those things for certain in all of our lives. We have no hope to stay faithful apart from the helper, the Holy Spirit. I am so glad I have the Holy Spirit. I could never, ever walk as a Christian, much less preach in a pulpit without the help of the Holy Spirit. I, I would never want to take a day's breath without the help of the Holy Spirit. But he said, I'm going to give you the helper. The helper has been sent to help them abide and us abide. But not only to abide, to endure, because some things in life you've got to endure. I was in the dentist chair earlier this week. It was supposed to be an hour and 15 minutes. It was close to three. Holy Spirit, help me endure. <laughs> I wanted to take the dentist. This is for my good, right? You know, and, and I got something for you. No, anyway, 
It's help us endure. And not only just endure, but to advance as his witness. It says you're going to bear witness. You're going to be able to bear witness. He's the one that helps us to remain in Jesus. The help, Holy Spirit helps us remain, but to testify through us. When he says the Spirit's going to testify, it's not that you and I, it wasn't that John wrote this book. The Spirit testified and John wrote it down. And he'll testify through your life and the steps you take and the words that come out will be of the Spirit if we're abiding in Jesus, abiding in his love. Hudson Taylor, who took a great step of faith, going to China, going to mainland China, he certainly didn't look like the Chinese culture, but God gave him great favor over time. And he said, many Christians estimate difficulty in light of their own resources, and thus they attempt very little, and they always fail. All giants, these are spiritual giants here, all giants have been weak men, and of course women, Weak men and women who did great things for God because they reckoned on his power and presence to be with them. It's okay to say, Lord, I'm really weak. And God says, I know you are. That's why I'm giving you the helper. I know you'd collapse. I know you deny my name. But I'm going to put the helper in you who's going to help you stay till the very end. Amen? And let me close by reminding you, if you belong to Christ... This wacky, falling apart world is not your home. You don't need to try and hold on to it, and I implore you not to try and hold on to it. It's not your home. You're passing through. As I've said, this is like the rest stop on I-95. You are not going to hang out there long. <laughs> get in, get out. That's what the Lord... But do what we're supposed to do while we get in, get out. Be the light be the witness we're supposed to be. You're not of this world. Our salvation is not of this world. The spirit God gave us is not of this world so we can proclaim Jesus' name in this world. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you again for the helper. Lord, we would never be able to endure not just persecution, but just, just trials and tribulations of life if it were not for your help, your word. Teach us, Lord, to abide in you to endure with your help, and to even, Lord, be faithful witnesses with joy, the filling of joy which you promised early in this same text, and, Lord, abiding in your love, that, Lord, we can endure, and even, Lord, even see people that despise you come to know you as Lord and Savior. Paul went from being Saul to Paul because a man named Stephen, Lord, endured to the end. And Lord, we want to be that kind of faithful follower, but we can't do it without the help of the, your Holy Spirit. And so we just ask, Lord, that you would just magnify the work of the Spirit in our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand as we close in worship. When this service is over, if you have any questions, if you need prayer, if you say, I'm, I'm not ready for eternity, we're going to have some people right over in this corner that you can come and talk to. We'd love to talk to you about anything you have on your heart, your salvation, or anything we can pray for you about. Let's close in worship.